Today we are going to start the mechanical properties of solids and fluids and today we're doing lecture one. So the first topic we come across is elasticity. Now the definition of elasticity is the property of a body by virtue of which it tends to regain its original shape when the applied force is removed. So let's consider a spring for example. If we compress the spring and then we leave it, it tends to go back to the original shape, dimensions, all of that, right? Or maybe if we pull it and say if we take a rubber band and we twist it and then if we let it go and we remove the um, applied force, then it regains its original shape. And the property of something to do this is called elasticity, right? So when we talk, we're, we're going to talk about solids first, right? That's where the whole concept of elasticity comes from. So yeah, we know that a rigid steel bar can be deformed by a large external force. So we're not just talking about tiny little springs or rubber bands, we're talking about rigid steel bars too. Because number one, solid bodies aren't perfectly rigid. And number two, to change and deform the shape or size of the body, in this case, a large force is required. So we essentially have the same conditions for everything. The body, solid bodies aren't perfectly rigid. And with the help of an applied force, you can change the dimensions of the body. And after you remove that force, if it comes back to the original position, then, or the original dimensions and all of that, then it is said to be elastic. And this property is elasticity. Now, the opposite of this is plasticity. When we talked about elasticity, um, we saw that as soon as we remove the external force, the body returned to the original shape. But when we come to plastic um, objects, we see that after we apply the force and then we remove the applied force, the body remains in that um, shape it took when you had applied the force in the first place. Right, so it gets deformed. And in this case, the deformation is called plastic deformation. But when we talk about elasticity, there the deformation caused is termed elastic deformation. So now we move on to the main part of the chapter. All of that was just the introduction. These are just terms that you're going to be using from now onwards. So elastic behavior of solids. Now. When we think of a solid, what do we see or what do we know? We know that in a solid, each atom or molecule is surrounded by its neighboring atoms or molecules. Okay, now these neighboring atoms or molecules along with this atom or molecule that we first had, they're bounded together by interatomic or intermolecular forces and stay in a suitable position. Now, what happens is, when the solid is deformed, the atoms or the molecules are displaced from their equilibrium position, right? And this causes a change in the interatomic or the intermolecular distances, right? But we don't have to worry too much because the interatomic forces or the intermolecular forces in a solid are so strong that as soon as this deforming force is removed, they move back to their original shape and size. Now, how can we visualize this? Well, let's imagine a cube, right? Let's imagine all the edges of a cube are made of springs. And let's imagine that all the vertices um, include a ball. Now, if we pull or displace any ball from its equilibrium position, 
then the spring ball system, it changes, right? We see the strings, I mean, the springs being pulled from all the sizes, maybe it was super small before, now it's super big. But the moment we remove that force, the spring ball system gets restored to its original position. Following this, we'll come to some important concepts and they are stress and strain. Let's start with stress. Now, stress has the same units, it has almost the same formula as pressure. It has the same formula as pressure. What is pressure? Pressure is force per, air, for, per unit area, right? Now, what's stress? Stress is also force per unit area. Now, how is this different? When we talk about stress, our force is the internal elastic force. It's the internal elastic force. When you pull a body or you compress a body, there is some force internally, right? As it tries to get back to its position, it is applying that much force to get back to where it was before. It is either pushing outwards if you compress it or it's pushing back inwards if you've um, pulled it apart. So this is what we call the internal elastic force and stress like I said, force per unit area. In this case, it's the internal elastic force per unit cross-sectional area, right? So at equilibrium, the internal elastic force is the same as the applied force. And we're talking about equilibrium, so this means that nothing has, dis has been displaced yet, right? So now this stress, it's a scalar quantity, and the SI unit is Newton per meter squared, also Pascal's if you want, and the dimensional formula, M, L to the power minus one, T to the power minus two. So now there are three different types of stresses. The first one is longitudinal or tensile stress, and this originates due to a change in the length. Say we are pulling a rod, right? So here we have an external force that's causing a change in length, and now the, um, the body tries to either pull it back or push outwards to get back to its original position depending on whether it was pulled or compressed and this stress generated is called longitudinal stress right so when we can let's consider a metal wire of length l let's say it has a radius r and there's um an applied force f that stretches it now when it's stretched, it elongates. Let's call this elongation delta L. Now, longitudinal stress would be equal to mg divided by pi r squared. Why do we say this? Because stress is forced by area. Force is mg in this case. Let's consider us um, ourselves hanging this rod, right? That way the, the weight is the only force acting downwards. So that would be our force mg. And the area would be that of the wire, that would be pi r squared. So the longitudinal stress is mg divided by pi r squared. Now, when we consider volume stress, the name says it all. This is the stress that um, we see that originates when there is a change in the volume. This is also called bulk stress, by the way. So now let's consider a rubber block with the volume V at atmospheric pressure. But then all of a sudden, it's subjected to an additional pressure from all the sides, right? This is important, all the sides. So now the volume decreases from V to V minus dV, right? So volume, the volume stress is force per unit area. But wait, isn't pressure force per unit area? dP, which is the tiny little change in pressure that we saw, 
is equal to force per area. So in this case, the volume stress is equal to dp. And finally, shearing stress. Um, this is basically for the change in shape. Let's consider this. Say we have a cube, all right? Um, the top square could be a, b, c, d, right? And the bottom could be e, f, g, h. Right, so now let's imagine that we're only pushing the top of this cube. That way, only the square face on the top, that's the only one that moves. Whereas, the one that was on the bottom, let's say that was fixed, right? So it's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa now, right? So, now, we have seen that the upper layer moves by an angle of theta. Right? The bottom surface was fixed, the top surface is what moved, and as it moved, it generates an angle theta with the original position. Right? And in this case, the shearing stress would be the tangential force divided by the area. The tangential force is what pushed it over that side. After that, we come to strain. Now, we know that an external force causes a change in dimension, big or small. We don't know, we don't care. It depends on the question that we have. Now, the ratio of the change in dimension to the original dimension is strain. So it's delta something divided by what it originally was. When we talk about la longitudinal strain, when we talk about longitudinal anything, we're just implying the length. That's all we're focusing on. So that would become delta L divided by L. Change in length divided by original length. And when we look at volume or bulk strain, Delta V divided by V, but it's negative. Why is it negative? Because the volume decreases as the pressure increases. What is this pressure? This pressure is the force that we are applying per unit area. Number three, shearing strain. Shearing strain is the ratio of the relative displacement of any layer to its perpendicular distance from the fixed layer. It's basically how much the top square moved with respect to the bottom square and it is equal to tan theta in radians, theta in radians. After this, we come to the concept of elastic limit, right? So when we're just here, enjoying our time on earth, and somebody comes and annoys us, then we tend to let them, right? We let them go on and on and on until they finally cross a limit, that's when we break. And that is similar to what the elastic limit is, right? It's the maximum stress from which an elastic body will recover um, to its original state after, removal, after the removal of the deforming force. So let's say we have a rubber band. We keep pulling it and pulling it and pulling it and pulling it. At one point, if we leave it, it will come back, right, to its original position. But if we pull it even more than that point, it'll reach this point where it can't get back to its original position. It's now completely changed. Now, now we come to Hooke's Law. Hooke's Law says, within elastic limits, the ratio of stress to strain for a given material is a constant. So this means stress is directly proportional to strain. Stress divided by strain is equal to a constant. This constant is called the modulus of elasticity. And this is a characteristic property of the material. If the modulus of elasticity is high, this means we can apply a lot of stress and still produce a smaller strain. This means we can keep applying more and more and more pressure on this object, but in turn, get very little deformation. There could be a very little change in its dimensions, right? And this property is very useful when we're looking for things with a high tensile strength. 
Now our first one is Young's modulus. This is the ratio of tensile stress to longitudinal strain. So tensile stress is mg divided by pi r square. Longitudinal strain is delta L divided by L. We know that y is equal to stress by strain. So it's mg divided by pi r square divided by delta L divided by L. So this means that Young's modulus is mg L divided by pi r square delta L. Now the greater the Young's modulus, the less elastic the body is, the harder it is to stretch. But the lesser the Y is, the Young's modulus is, the easier it is to stretch. Now to the bulk modulus. The bulk modulus is the ratio of the bulk or volume stress to the bulk or volume strain. Right? So it's again the same thing as Young's modulus, but this time we're dealing with volumes. So we know that B is equal to negative PV divided by delta V. Right? So now... Oops, I am so sorry. We know that B is equal to force per unit area. Force was pressure, so that's P, divided by um, the bulk strain would be delta V by V. So we move the V up, we get PV divided by delta V. So B is equal to negative PV divided by delta V. Now, the reciprocal of the bulk modulus will give us something that we call the compressibility. This basically tells us how much we can compress it. We had resistivity, conductivity, and now compressibility. Now, this has a negative sign because the greater is the applied force, the lesser is the applied volume. Now, the bulk modulus for metals is very, very, very high because they could do lots and lots of work. They could get a lot and lot of pressure on them, applied on them, but still have a very small change in volume. Now, if the bulk modulus is very high, this means that the compressibility factor is low. That means it's not easy to compress. So we look at metals. They have a high bulk modulus, but the reciprocal would be super duper small, right? Because they're not that compressible. But then if you look at a gas, they have a very tiny bulk modulus. But at the same time, this means that they have a very high compressibility factor. So this means that we can easily compress gases as compared to solids. Now, we come to the stress strain curve for an elastic material. Stress is mg divided by the cross-sectional area. The strain is delta L divided by L. Now let us consider a load connected to a wire's free end. The wire's top is on the ceiling. The bottom is now connected to um, some load. As the load increases, the length of the wire also increases. And we calculate the values of stress for different values of the mass that we're attaching then we obtain a really weird looking curve right so let's consider it to go from o to a a to b b to c c to d d to e now o to a is the linear portion this is the part where hooke's law is obeyed where stress is directly proportional to strain and here a is the limit of proportionality if a if the applied force is anywhere between O and A, then delta L will be zero. That means that the um, whatever substance you're looking at, it will come back to its original position. And remember, this is a stress by strain graph, if I haven't mentioned it. Now, from A to B, it's not a straight line. So this means that at this point of time, the stress is not proportional to strain. So here, the body does retain its original dimension when the load is removed. Now, B is the yield point. This is the elastic limit, right? After this point, if you apply any more force, 
then you will not get back the same body when you remove that mass that you added right so here the corresponding stress is called the yield stress strength after this we come to the journey between b and d now this is definitely not a straight line so this really implies quite easily that stress is not proportional to strain at this point of time strain is increasing rapidly for even a small change in stress so that means even if we apply a teensy bit of pressure there's a rapid change in the dimensions so at this point of time, even when the load is removed, at some point between B and D, let's say C, the body does not retain the original dimension. Now, from at, at the point D, we reach something called the ultimate tensile strength. This means this is as far as it can go. The material is said to have a permanent um, plastic deformation at this point, from B to D. Right, because when you remove the load, you're not going to get back what you started with. And D is a point of ultimate tensile strength. Now, D to E, beyond tensile strength, additional strain produced, even when the applied force is reduced by a small quantity, will cause a fracture at the point. If D and E are close, this means that the material is brittle. That be that's because its maximum tensile strength is really close to how easily it breaks, the point at which it breaks. So that means if you cross the maximum tensile strength by even a little bit, kaput, it's gone. But if we have D and E far away, that means D can take a lot of, um, I'm sorry, it can take a lot of pressure, it can take a lot of force rather, before it actually fractures. Now the general elastic limit and limit of proportionality are very close to each other and hence Hooke's law is valid within elastic limits. After this we come to elastomers. These are basically substances that can be stretched to large strains and still regain their initial shape and size like say um, our heart tissue. This keeps on beating, it keeps on taking so much stress but it eventually comes back to the way, the way it started. Right and this graph is um, it's like an S up, a backward S up, and then the same thing downwards. At no point in this graph is stress proportional to strain. And we see that the area under the stress and strain graph is what we call the work done. And this isn't conservative because we have different areas for different paths. So that means we have different work done. Right, so here we see that the work done while stretching the material to the elastic limit is not equal to the work done in restoring this thing back into its original form. And we call this phenomenon elastic hysteresis. Following this, let's move on to some numericals. Number one, a structural steel rod has a radius of 10 millimeters and length of one meter. Um, 100 kilonewton force stretches it along its length. Calculate the following A stress, B elongation, C strain. What is, okay, what do we have, first of all? We have the radius, so from the radius we can calculate the area. We have the length, we have the force, and we have the Young's modulus. So now, we start with stress. Stress is F by A, force by area. We can calculate the force depending on based on what they've given and the area pi r squared. I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to solve it for you. I'm just going to tell you how to do it. Elongation. Um, okay, so we know that um, 
y is equal to stress by strain, right? So we can calculate strain. Strain is equal to stress divided by the Young's modulus. So that way we get the strain, that would be C. Now what is B, the elongation? For elongation, delta L is the elongation. Strain is equal to delta L divided by L. So we move the L and strain to one side. So we get delta L is equal to the stress times the original length. Next, uh, copper wire of length 2.2 meters and a steel wire of length 1.6 meters, both of diameter 3 millimeters, are connected end to end. When stretched by a load, the net elongation is found to be 0.7 mm. Find the load applied. And they've given us the Young's modulus of both of them. Now, LCU is 2.2, L steel is 1.6. Now, the diameter of both is 3 millimeters. They've given us the net elongation. So, here, when we look at a series connection, we see the same force applied on all of these rods. It's like you're holding hands with 10 other people and I pull your hand only. It's not like you're the only one who's gonna come. Everybody else is going to feel the same force and they're also going to be pulled with you. So Y is equal to F divided by A divided by delta L by L. So you get from this equation that delta L is equal to FL divided by AY. And then we know that delta LCU plus delta L steel is equal to 0.7 mm. Now you substitute the values of delta L. We've already found that delta L is equal to FL divided by AY. Next. Um, okay, the average depth of the Indian Ocean is about 300 meters. Calculate the fractional compression of water at the bottom of the ocean. And they've given us the bulk modulus. Now, the bulk modulus is equal to the bulk stress divided by the bulk strain, right? Now, that means we have P divided by delta V by V. P is equal to rho GH, right? So we get that delta V by V is equal to rho GH divided by V. Delta V by V is the fractional change we're looking for. Now we just plug in the values and we get our answer. Next, a crane used for lifting and moving heavy objects makes use of thick metal rope. The rope is pulled up using pulleys and motors. What should be the cross-sectional area of steel rope, which will have the lifting capacity of 10 tons? They've given us the young modulus and the yield strength. Now, the yield strength is essentially just the maximum stress that it can take before it goes kaput. So we know that stress is equal to F by A, A is equal to F by stress, which is equal to Mg divided by stress. We're looking for the area, so that was our equation. Now just plug in the values and find the answer.